This is a diet of Brussels. Um, what's the EU's view about extending Article 50? Uh, this is a question that's become more pertinent in the last few weeks, mainly because of where the UK is, uh, if it actually knows where it is, and, and that's really the issue. That um, We're now getting to a point in the process where time is a problem. There is uh, a need for the ratification of the withdrawal agreement uh, before the end of the Article 50 period. So we remember that the default period is two years long. Um, but at this stage in, where are we? Gosh, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, the middle of uh, February, that gives us about six weeks. Now, in that time, the UK has to uh, pass a meaningful vote uh, uh, on a motion uh, on the withdrawal agreement in the Commons. It then has to pass uh, a withdrawal implementation bill through Parliament. So that means it's got to get through the Commons and the Lords. Uh, and in the Lords, it certainly doesn't have majority. And in the Commons, at the moment, it doesn't seem to have one that uh, is worth the name. And uh, also, then you need to have, uh, alongside that, the process of uh, ratification by the EU. So the uh, Council needs to approve by qualified majority, and there needs to be uh, a vote in approval uh, in the European Parliament. The, the basic problem is that on the timeline that we have so far, with Theresa May talking about bringing the motion for the second meaningful vote back at the end of the month, there is unlikely to be enough time to get all of those steps done by the 29th of March. So even in the best case scenario, uh, time would seem to be insufficient and we are very far from the best case scenario. At the moment, there is considerable uncertainty about whether a second meaningful vote could actually uh, get through, notwithstanding the, the running down the clock kind of uh, approach that May has in mind. But really important in this is a need to appreciate that Extension is an option, but it is not a, an option that is without problems. The most obvious one is that extension is a process that is mutually agreed. There needs to be the approval of both the UK and of all member states. So all 27 have to agree to an extension of the date. So uh, that implies uh, a number of uh, things. The first one is that any discussion of extension uh, needs to start with somebody asking for an extension. Um, so uh, in practice, that means the UK, because the EU, uh, I think their view is that they could offer an extension, and uh, they've in effect done that. They say that it's there on the table if the UK wants to, to come with... Uh, a proposal, but in effect, the UK government needs to be the starting point of this because they're the ones who have the problem at the moment because the EU is, is essentially ready to sign and ratify the, uh, the withdrawal agreement. So uh, before all of the, the other things, there's got to be that uh, step from the UK. The second consequence of it is that you can't 
agree an extension like that. It's not simply uh, Theresa May sends a group WhatsApp message to all of her uh, mates in the European Council and that by return of uh, uh, message, uh, everything is signed off. Instead, there's going to have to be a process of discussion and approval by the 27 of this. Now, that doesn't require a face-to-face -face meeting, but what it does require is that governments have the approval of uh, their national systems. So that might be that there needs to be some discussion with Parliament, uh, certainly with coalition partners, uh, discussions with civil servants about whether this causes any issues. So you're looking at several days, uh, at least. Now, uh, talking with uh, some uh, observers, they're talking about maybe 10 days to turn this around from request to approval. You might be able to lop a few days off because clearly member states are now getting to the point where, as I've said, there's an expectation that an extension is going to be required. So the discussions have been had already at this uh, stage. But uh, it's to make the point that if Theresa May's plan is to run the clock right down uh, on uh, the parliamentary ratification, she needs to be careful that she leaves enough time, should it be successful, to then go and ask for and get uh, an extension before the 29th of March itself. Because once you've gone over the deadline, you can't uh, retroactively extend. You've got to do it before the fact. Now, all of this is really context the, the main point that I want to make, because in the debates that we've had in the UK about extension, as much as we have had them, the view has been that an extension is fine. We can get an extension. But I think it's really important to uh, underline that the, the reality of the situation is more complicated than that. And here I want to suggest that there are three kinds of extension that we might be considering. The first one is what you might call a short technical extension. So let's say Theresa May gets her uh, bill, uh, her meaningful vote through at the end of February. She pushes through the withdrawal agreement, uh, the withdrawal implementation bill uh, through Parliament, but it gets a bit delayed because, you know, things. And uh, she reckons that she can't actually get it done by the 29th of March. At that point, she might say, I need a few weeks just to help me get over the line. So as you can see, I'm on my way, we're doing it, but we just need a little bit more time because we're so close uh, that we, we just need to make sure we don't uh, accidentally uh, fail to meet the deadline. That situation is one that has long been understood as a potential situation and would cause no real problems for any of the other member states. Uh, as everyone observes, everyone wants a deal in place and if this withdrawal agreement looks like it's going to go through, nobody wants to be responsible for throwing everything out because of uh, a few days or a few weeks. So the short technical extension is not a problem. Again, the difficulty is that uh, it might not be clear quite how much time is needed and when that time might become evidently needed. Uh, and so you need to leave enough time before the 29th of March to make sure that you can get the approvals 
uh, signed off for an extension. The second kind of extension is what we might call the big extension. So this is something more in the order of uh, a year uh, that is there for uh, a very big purpose. Now, uh, so far when we've thought about this, we've thought about uh, a big extension because of a second referendum, which we know would take uh, a good half a year, if not more, well, a half a year to do at breakneck speed uh, under the requirements of UK legislation, but uh, something probably closer to a year in uh, practice that the primary legislation that's needed, the designation of groups, the uh, campaigning period, uh, the wash-up of whatever comes out of that, all of those things speak to something more in the order of a year's uh, extension for the process. The other kind of case uh, that might be a big uh, extension is something like uh, a general election, which can happen in shorter time than a referendum, because we don't really have to do all of the stuff that we do uh, with a referendum campaign but still speaks to several months. And again, if you assume that it's not that the date of the vote will sort everything out, but there will still be a period of uh, working out what comes after, again, you're looking at at least half a year and probably uh, more in order to uh, cover the whole of that period. Now, in that case, the EU's view, I think, has been that that is probably acceptable that uh, I think the, the, the view in European capitals is that the UK has been very uncertain about what it wants. It hasn't got a settled uh, position. And if there is some internal UK development that they think realistically leads to a resolution uh, and some clarity about direction, then they will be prepared to wait uh, uh, and extend Article 50 so that the UK doesn't fall out and have more problems that might compromise the choice. Now, that's not uh, code for they hope that the UK will change its mind, although I'm sure that there are people who uh, think that. It's much more simply about some clarity of direction. The, the whole of Article 50 uh, has really been about indecision on the part of the UK, or rather multiple decisions and ideas about what should happen, but no consensus uh, about what should happen. So if there's some big step like that, and really those are the two big steps, uh, a referendum or a general election, that then the EU uh, is very unlikely to uh, have uh, an issue around that. So to recap, the short technical extension, the big Things might be changing uh, uh, because of some big event uh, extension. Those, I think, are fine uh, in uh, European eyes. The thing that isn't fine is, of course, the one thing that actually looks like the more common reason that British politicians and commentators talk about an extension, which is we need a bit more time to work out what we're doing. So it's neither technically... Uh, driven. It's not that there is a process in action of ratification, pushing a bill through Parliament. Similarly, it's not uh, big decision 
taking because we've got a vote uh, of some kind happening uh, in some time uh, in the future. Instead, it's a bit, well, we don't really know. We're going to work it out. And we're not sure how. And this is really where the problem is, is that a lot of the debate uh, in the UK has been about what shall we do? How shall we do things? What are the options? We don't like this. We don't like that. We haven't got a majority for this course of action. We haven't got a majority for that course of action. This vacillation has really been very difficult for the EU to uh, deal with because there's nothing it can usefully uh, do. Uh, but also it's very frustrating because there is a process, there's a timeline and the UK seem to be, well, let's just carry on talking about it and maybe we'll work something out uh, further down the line. And particularly if you think about what's happened in the last couple of months since the signing of the withdrawal agreement, the British government has given very contradictory signals. On the one hand, there is a determination that uh, the government wants to sign and ratify the withdrawal agreement as it stands, and that still remains Number 10's primary plan. At the same time, it's backed the Brady Amendment, saying that it wants to be told that the withdrawal agreement needs to be changed in regard to the backstop, and then it will sign. And clearly, backbench MPs have uh, any number of problems with the withdrawal agreement quite apart from the backstop. So uh, the risk for the EU is that if you give more time, then you are opening the door to a renegotiation. And so far, the EU has been very clear. It's not going to renegotiate the withdrawal agreement, but it's prepared to talk about changes to the political declaration. Because, you know, that's the future, and, you know, we can talk about the future, but, you know, we're not committing ourselves one way or the other. So uh, the whole discussion with Labour about uh, permanent customs arrangement is one that is uh, you know, within the, the scope of what there is, but it's something that is uh, quite distinct from uh, renegotiation of the legally binding text in the withdrawal agreement. So from the EU's perspective, giving a bit more time, some months, is uh, difficult uh, on that front, that it looks like uh, just kind of dragging things out when uh, more time doesn't actually seem to help. And remember that Article 50 has also had quite a lot of dead time where things don't happen, such as now. Uh, we're not actually having real renegotiations uh, re going on between the UK and the EU. There's not really progress on the uh, development of a plan within Parliament, uh, and actually a lot of people are just kicking up uh, dust on this, and yeah, nobody knows what's going to happen next. So from the EU's perspective, to engage in that as a uh, extension looks very much more problematic. Extensions need to be for a purpose uh, in all of this, and that uh, if it's not one thing nor the other, then it's just can-kicking and that's not really acceptable. Now, all of this matters because part of the calculation that European states will have to enter in is uh, what's the effect of extensions? And I'm going to point to two 
obvious effects of extensions that uh, we talk about. So one we talk about a lot, the other one we talk about much less. The one we talk about much less is the impact on transition. As framed in the withdrawal agreement, there is a transition period after the end of UK membership that runs to the end of 2020 with an extension possible to the end of 2022. Now, any extension of Article 50 eats into that time, uh, which means that there'll be even less than the already insufficient amount of time for negotiating uh, and concluding uh, a future relationship between the UK and the EU, which means that an extension will have an impact on the chances of using the backstop uh, agreement, that uh, this is something that is not really uh, considered very much in Westminster at the moment, and really invites a, a discussion about whether, if there is a long extension, uh, whether you have to revisit the uh, timeline for the transition period um, in uh, in the withdrawal agreement itself. And again, there's a problem that if you change that one bit of the withdrawal agreement, why can't you change something else? So transition uh, is defined by a date rather than a period of time following withdrawal. It doesn't say 19 months, it says the end of December uh, 2020. So there will be a consequence that buying time now with an extension of Article 50 comes with a cost of losing time in transition, which raises the chance of using the backstop, which nobody wants to do. But even before that, we have the more obvious and much more discussed case of European elections. So at the end of May, uh, the European Parliament will have its regular five yearly uh, elections across the EU. And there is still very little clarity about what happens if the UK is still a member at that point. Now, there are two elements uh, in this. The first one is that, again, going back to where we started, the European Parliament needs to ratify the withdrawal agreement. So uh, at some point in uh, April, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, the Parliament stop sitting. So at that point it doesn't exist and it's not in a position to do a ratification. So uh, even with uh, with a technical extension of more than a couple of weeks you run into a problem that the body that you need to do the ratification uh, needs to have done that before it stops uh, sitting. Now uh, in the technical extension scenario that's fine because uh, you will know that the UK is already in process and so you can rush through the, the European Parliament arm of that. That's fine. But if it's a, a more indeterminate length or if it's a longer technical extension, then you run into that problem uh, all the more, that there might simply not be a body uh, that is uh, composed in, in order to allow for that ratification to happen. But equally, the problem is, is that uh, what happens to British MEPs? So at the moment, they cease to be uh, MEPs uh, on the 29th of March. But with an extension, they would carry on. Um, but what happens uh, at the point of European elections? Now, at the moment, there seems to be a view that you're probably okay until uh, the end of June, beginning of May, uh, July, because the Parliament doesn't actually sit until... Uh, the beginning of uh, July. So 
it might not be a problem that there aren't European elections in the UK because there won't be any work for the MEPs to do in that first month. So it's rather different from the UK system where uh, almost immediately you can go back uh, and uh, the next day you can start uh, the work of Parliament again. However, if an extension goes past uh, July, you have a real problem that uh, there is a treaty requirement that there are elections, uh, that uh, those elections then might be for MEPs who are only sitting in post for a very short time. And importantly, during the summer, the European Parliament, the new European Parliament, will be making a number of key decisions. So, firstly, it will be forming itself into uh, parliamentary uh, groups. So there needs to be uh, a certain number of MEPs from a certain number of countries to hit the threshold for forming a group. Now, uh, the UK has a relatively large number of MEPs because it's a relatively large state. And uh, already we know that their removal uh, will probably cause the collapse of at least one, if not two, uh, groups in the European Parliament. So can these uh, groups uh, form themselves uh, with British MEPs if those MEPs then disappear and what happens when they disappear? Now that matters because the allocation of senior roles in the Parliament from the President through to chairs of committees, rapporteurs, quite uh, other uh, members of uh, the governance of the Parliament depend on the groups that exist and the size of those groups. Um, and also then the Parliament will vote on the new Commission. Uh, it will select uh, and approve the Commission President and then the Commission as a whole. And will all those decisions be based on British votes that might then almost immediately disappear? So there are real problems about whether you have MEPs at all. Uh, what happens in European elections if you have them at the end of May in the UK? Do you end up with uh, a whole bunch of uh, the Brexit party, uh, Nigel Farage's uh, new outfit? Or do you have uh, uh, some other kind of protest vote? Or what? You know, nobody knows. Do you instead maybe just uh, extend existing MEPs posts uh, uh, by uh, appointment uh, rather than by election? Do you uh, do something else? Do you simply not bother and just uh, ride out the legal challenges that, that come through? What about all of the uh, additional MEPs that the other member states were going to elect in the absence of the UK to take up some of those seats? Do you bother electing them, not electing them, electing them later, doing something else? And the problems go on. Now, I think this last point is that these are still second order issues to what happens about transition. But part of the calculation that European leaders will make when and if they are asked to make a transition is what is the impact on the EU. And clearly, anything that takes us into uh, more than a couple of months is going to cause some real practical difficulties. And it's important to stress that nobody has a good handle on how to handle the European election issue at this stage. So when we talk about extension... We have to remember that it's not as uh, problem-free as sometimes is depicted here in the UK. And, really importantly, it needs to be for a reason. That without a reason, the European Union is likely to have a lot more difficulty in saying yes uh, than it would do otherwise.